In order to truly become part of the global business environment, your business needs to constantly change and adapt to a variety of new constants. Welcome to Leadership Beyond Borders with Kimberly J. Lewis. We will help you navigate these changes on today's program and help you think beyond the boundaries. The opportunities are limitless if you are prepared. Now, here is your host, Kimberly J. Lewis. Hello and welcome to Leadership Beyond Borders. I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host. And we had another record month last month. And we have our le- our listenership is growing and growing. So I'd like to thank our listeners. And we do have listeners from all over the world. So good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you may be listening from today. Now, Leadership Beyond Borders is a show that is about the impact globalization, digital transition, and the connected world is having on our organizations and what that impact is doing to the kind of leadership we need to drive long-term success in today's economy. In this series, we've talked about everything from business issues such as artificial intelligence and data protection regulations to leadership issues such as gender balance, generational management, and business values that may impact your organization or your individual career. So please download this series on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Listen to us live every Tuesday, 3 p.m. specific time. And when you listen to us, you can hear success stories that you can learn from, stories that can motivate you, stimulate new ideas, and possibly even be the key to your success. I invite you to connect with me. Please send me your thoughts and insights to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Connect with me on my website, leadershipbeyondborders.net. Let me know what you want to hear on this show. I'd love to get an email from you. But Regardless of what, if you're in a leadership position or aspire to be in one, regardless if your business is international or local, make sure you join us each week and we will make sure that you take away something useful for either your business or yourself. Now, on to today's episode, which is one of of my favorite subjects. I mean, today we are overwhelmed by data and new technologies that capture data make split-second decisions, and then share that data, which in turn creates a system of record that can be a source for reporting, decision-making, creating intelligent machines, targeting, and much more. And everybody wins, right? Well, I mean, all these innovations and advancements are promising, and they do bring major benefits to the world. But I always question... Are the emerging technologies positively or negatively disrupting the existing order of things? And are we being overwhelmed with information and data? I mean, we have voice voice technology, we have suggestive searches, we have location-based technologies, and these are just a few of the innovations that are going on and we're seeing every day, and it's all driven by data. And again, I ask, is this disruptive or is it advancement? Now, today we're going to talk to an expert in the the area of technology and innovation in an attempt to understand what is really going on in the world around us and what role data is playing and how it is affecting our businesses and our personal lives. Today on the show, we have... Katina Michael is a professor in the School for Future Innovation in Society and School of Computing, Informatics, and Decision Systems Engineering at Arizona State University. She was an Associate Dean International at the University of Wallago in Australia, where she was employed in the School of Computing and Information Technology since 2002. She's held visiting academic appointments at Najing University in China and the University of Southampton in UK, and has taught at the Singapore Institute of Management, as well as overseeing Wallingos, Wallingos, sorry, I always have a tough time saying that university's name, information science courses in eight campuses across the country. Now, she has also published six edited books as well as co-authored two 500-page reference volumes, including Innovation Automation Identification and Location-Based Services from Barcodes to Chip Implants, as well as Ubervalence, Social Implications, and they're both with M.G. Michael. And she has written over 
200 peer-reviewed papers. She researches predominantly in the area of emerging technologies and has a secondary interest in technologies used for national security and corresponding social implications. She is the editor-in-chief of IEEE Technology and Society magazine and has been a senior editor for the magazine IEEE consumer electronics magazine since 2015. In 2017, Katina was awarded the Brian O'Connell Distinguished Service Award from the Society of Social Implications for Technology. So that's been a mouthful, Katina. Okay, welcome to the show. Thank you. And you did well to present and pronounce Wollongong. <laughs> okay, yes. uh, I always have a hard time with that one. Okay. You must be good, yes. <laughs> so, anyways, um, this is so exciting to have you because I love to have uh, um, high-level women in technology that are that are recognized by their peers, and and you are definitely one of those. And my first question is, how did you get into this? I think I saw the transition from the manual world to the digital world. I was probably four or five, and I remember barcodes being introduced into the local retail stores uh, down under in Australia. And I thought, what are these things? You know, I remember my mother questioning, how can we be sure there are no prices here, that this costs this, and there's contiguous and non-contiguous lines, which are called barcodes. How can we, and then you had digital cash registers, and then you had credit cards being mailed out to people. And I remember my mum thinking, what am I going to do with this very expensive thing, this credit card. So she just up uh, the scissors through it and cut it up. And I said, Mum, what if the gas company actually requires this credit card for us to have an identity to measure the level of gas that we're using? And in her amazing wisdom, you know, two people, my parents were both uneducated, uh, interrupted by World War II in Greece. Um, here they were saying, we need to continually advance and follow what's going on. So they bought uh, my brother and uh, three of his sisters, uh, including me, a computer uh, in 1987. Mm. And that was to help my brother through university while I was still uh, a seven or eight-year-old at the time. And I remember the computer coming home, the unpacking, and thinking, wow, you know, we think we unbox things today, but you should see back then, you know, it was like this was part of the furniture of the living room. You know, this was an expensive item. And she chose the computer, not my brother, actually. My brother who was going through university, it was my mother. And she said, that one over there, because it's got colors on the screen and the others don't. So she just had <laughs> intuition, right? And the rest is history. The rest is history. Yeah. But when you started, also just a to, to quick question on the diversity. I mean, as you there's there's not very many women in tech today. Okay, um, you know I've seen statistics between depending on the fields between fifteen percent and on the top maybe twenty eight percent. So so you must have been um, a pioneer. I think I was, and we know that from the classes that we were in. Um, I was in a scholarship course at the University of Technology Sydney for my bachelor's degree, and they appreciated diversity. I think. The university went all out to make sure there were even numbers in that 24-person scholarship class. But when I look at computer science at large, engineering at large, in any university at the time, you know, there were a few women with many men. And when I went into the workplace, I was still surrounded and very much outnumbered. I remember one time working at Nortel Networks, there was a sales engineering conference that I had to attend in Sydney. And I turned up, was a little bit late, remember the feeling of walking in, I must have been the only female apart from the HR manager who was present. And I thought, whoa, what's mm -hmm. happening here? You know, but yeah. my mother was always one that said, go for it, do your best. She never really saw um, blocks anywhere. For them, it was like they had made it to Australia with a single suitcase. What block could there be? You know, you forged your own destiny. You went forward. You never said, I can't. You always said everything is possible. And I remember my father very early on telling us, how much he loved his education, though he only went up to second class, the end of second class. And he still knew how to read Greek, uh, write in Greek, and do basic arithmetic. I was shocked because he knew methods in arithmetic, even when I was in sixth or seventh grade, that I didn't know. And he would sit there helping me out with my homework. And I remember him saying, whatever you do, get an education because that is your ticket. You don't, he said, you don't want to be like me. He said, I'm stuck in a factory. I never see the light of day during the day. I work double shifts for you and your, your, your mother and your siblings. And I'm happy. I love my family. But he said, whatever you do, don't get stuck 
in a factory. Don't get stuck without an education. Don't get stuck being dirty with her, being surrounded by by dirt. You know, he he was constantly uh, surrounded by thick chicken boosters at one stage and food additives that wouldn't come off his skin because they were so, so dense, right? So he was just saying to us, you can have another path and that's the path over there and I'll give you all the tools and techniques and a roof over your head, food, a love in the family and just, just go for it. And that's what I did, encouraged by them. Wow, that that that's an incredible story, and um, and when you see where you are today, it's incredible. And let's talk a little bit about that, okay? Um, I, I I'd like to go into some of your observations and um, about what's going on in technology, and I'd like to start kind of with media. I mean, we're surrounded by stuff today. I mean, we're we we have so much stimulus and so much data. Um, do you? Uh, my question to you would be. Is the technology driving us or are we driving the technology? I mean, is it the cart before the horse or the horse before the cart? Um, we're just changing it. It has so much effect on us. What's your observation of what's going on? I think that's a, a beautiful way to phrase it. And um, I'd say uh, a lot is happening. Um, we're seeing a transference from the physical to the digital. That's the first thing. We're seeing a transference from the paper product or the product, the media, maybe the TV, to a service to platform. Um, we're seeing a shift from what used to be traditional oil to now data and value creation. And what is actually happening? You know, you asked the question, is it technological determinism? Is it is it the digital forging us forward or is it in fact society shaping the world and shaping technology. Um, and I, I think I've had this discussion many times with many theorists and many practitioners, and most people like to think about praxistemology. It's what's happening in practice. You know, it, it, yes, for sure, that technology has inherent values that we rely on and we, it drives us, it drives to what we can do. And on the other hand, yes, of course, society wants certain things and they want more of it and more of it. And sometimes they don't even know how much they want of it. They, it just keeps coming and they keep taking it. But there is some... Something of the both, I would say. You know, society does shape technology and technology does definitely drive us in ways we never thought possible, especially as we're now talking about the fourth industrial revolution. Like, it's not just about the industrial revolution and mass market. Now we're seeing this customizability happening in the media space, for instance, that I'm receiving recommendations based on my preferences, based on my previous uh, transactions with uh, media units and platforms, and they give me and drive me the kind of data that I want to read and see. Mm-hmm. And that brings up a question for me. Uh, we have so much, and, and it is driving, and it is sourceful. Do you think sometimes that there's mistargeting because we get so much? Um, does Do the... Do, do the technologies that are targeting us come to just miss sometimes? I think um, the technologies uh, probably do miss target um, on occasion, but I also think uh, they're very well aware of us. We are now the commodity. We are the asset. Uh, we are the data. We are data and datafied. So I actually think they know us better than we know ourselves. They know our discrete transactions online, on Facebook, on the clicks on Instagram, what we don't like, what we don't read, what we pass over, what we forward, what we echo on a wall. Um, they're actually quite aware, and I would say it's micro-targeting. So to the effect that are they misfiring? Actually, I think they're firing too well, and we mm-hmm. are almost um, oblivious to how micro-targeting those recommendations and autoplays actually are to our preferences and characteristics. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're coming up to a short break, and I'd like to, to continue this discussion after the break and talk about that targeting and talk about maybe what the next generation of that targeting will be, and um, it, just about AI, you know, and, and what that's going to do, because obviously it's being driven by AI now, but we're going to be going to another level soon. So for our listeners, we are talking with Katina Michael, and she is a professor in the School for Future of Innovation in Society and School of Computing, Informatics, and Decision Systems Engineering at Arizona State University. She has published six edited books as well as co-authored two 500-page reference volumes, including innovation, automation, identification, and location-based services from barcodes to chip implants. And if you'd like to reach out to her, because she is a keynote speaker, 
speaker. And you can reach out to her on her website, www.katinamichael.com. And she also has some social media handles at Katina Michael and also on LinkedIn under Katina slash Michael 103177. And please reach out to her. And I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host, leadership and business expert. You can contact me with questions and comments at leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com or join our LinkedIn group at Leadership Beyond Borders or my website, leadershipbeyondborders.net. This show is brought to you by Cinda, one of Europe's most extensive digital marketing and social search, uh, local search nonprofit associations. Cinda conducts market research and holds digital conferences two times a year in Europe, Middle East, and Africa. And the next conference is going to be held in Berlin, May 24th to 26th, 2020. For more information concerning that conference, please go to www.cinda.com. And this conference will focus on emerging technologies in digital. And with that, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjoke All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjoke All at CIO Talk Network. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. Do you have a question or comment about our show? Please send an email to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Again, that's leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Borders on Voice America's business channel. And today we're talking about technology, did, um, innovation, and we're speaking with Katina Michael, and she is a professor in the School for Future of Innovation in Society and School of Computing, Informatics, and Decision Systems Engineering at Arizona State University. She's a published author and has published over 500 peer papers, peer-reviewed papers also. Now, Katina, um, we, before we were talking, we talked a, we, a great story intro on your history and women in tech, um, and we started talking about all this noise we have around us and, and targeting. And you said that, that you felt that maybe, maybe they're just, they know us better than we know ourselves with the, the data that they're collecting and, and targeting. And my question to you is, that's a little scary, okay? Um, but when I think about it, I think it could be absolutely correct because they're, somebody's watching everything I do. So if it's already at that level, what happens next? It's a good question, uh, Kimberly. Uh, what happens when uh, platforms and uh, search companies online 
uh, and services uh, online uh, know us better than our friends, our colleagues at work, know us better than uh, our partners, and know us better than our parents, and know us better than ourselves? What, what comes next? And that's a question uh, that a lot of ethicists are asking, a lot of philosophers are asking themselves. And we could ponder, you know, is that the sort of the self-destruction of uh, the person, you know, the, 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 the inner person? Um, is it the intended manipulation of, towards uh, purchasing or value-added services? So if I know you'd click a like on this photo uh, and this photo has that kind of apparel, and this kind of comment from this kind of opinion group, then might I use that for the next time? These are called stickiness drivers. They're not new things. Uh, customer relationship management has been around since uh, attendants would put gas in a vehicle. So we, we know that. But the question is, what, w- what will be done with the data that is being collected? It is being touted as uh, the new oil. Well, what it's doing is changing um, – the tangible to the intangible. It's changing the analog to the digital. Uh, it's changing how we create value. And when I become the subject, I become the commodity as a human being. I have to ask questions about how my data is used. Who owns my data? What is being done with the data? Where is it being stored? What machines are looking at it and inferring what uh, using machine learning techniques? And really what it's about is generating business. If I know you like these kinds of stories, I'll give you more. And, you know, these have been termed as filter bubbles in the past by other theorists. Um, I tend to think that they will be used to actually create impulse buying, perhaps addictive behaviors, perhaps algorithms customizable to your behavioral patterns. For example, if I wake up in the morning and I go from one app to another app to another app, it's a pathway. My, my smartphone knows what I do intimately and how might that data be used? If, the, if I'm looking at smartphone patterns of behavior, like the number of times I unlock my phone, the number of times I log into my email, the number of times I look at the Facebook feed, what does it say about me and how may that be used to drive and generate new value? Now, on the flip side, it's, isn't it great if I know and it can anticipate your, and predict what kinds of things you'll do? I'll just, I'll just be there just in time so that you're not searching needlessly for information. But what happens if it's being used uh, in a way to create value for somebody else and not you? Mm-hmm. That's really the critical question. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that you just said that really stuck with me, and I'd, I'd, I'd like to, to hear your views on this, is the manipulation of impulse buying. Because a, a, a little story, um, I can't even remember what it was, but around the holidays, I have two young nieces, um, four and seven, and I might look for something to buy them. And then all of a sudden, throughout, you know, I, get, I start getting targeted, even though I don't have any children that age. And it's driving me to think, oh, well, that's kind of cute. Um, you know, it's not Christmas anymore, but it's, it's February or March. Oh, maybe I'll take a couple extra, you know, dollars or euros and, and buy that for the kids when I go see them in, uh, in March. And sometimes I actually, as a consumer, feel a little bit manipulated. And my, my, my question to you is, do you think – you know, how far is this going to go and, and where is the ethical line? And do you think that the consumers actually know all the time what they're looking at? Because I actually forgot I had even looked at that until a few weeks later something popped up. So I think it's going um, almost to affordability stakes and I'll, I'll express it in this way. Uh, you as a consumer see a feed of advertisements on your Gmail account or on any platform you're using really. Uh, it could be Facebook. And uh, you're tempted to think about uh, your nieces um, or somebody close to you. Uh, well, that's already being used. And we know this from the Cambridge Analytica scandal where um, Cambridge Analytica collected so many uh, millions of records and then used that to influence, allegedly, the Brexit vote uh, in Europe, in the, in, in, in the UK and in Britain. And then um, the uh, election, the political election in the US, uh, our last president who was voted in. So it, it's like if we can do that. But what I'm saying is it's coming closer to us. It's coming closer to what we are doing. And I'll give you an example. Uh, a colleague of mine at ASU uh, fell pregnant and about three months into her pregnancy started receiving ads uh, from her insurer who had teamed up with Fitbit. 
You know, if mm. you take this Fitbit, we'll lower your insurance, health insurance premium so that your pregnancy can go, um, you know, well and you'll have additional money in your pocket. Well, really, who dares to infer that one is pregnant and then even offer you an incentive, incentivize you mm. to, to relate yourself to uh, the monitoring of a Fitbit device so that, you know, we can lower your premiums. The same thing has happened in Singapore where the Singaporean government has said, let's have a healthy initiative. And this is not a bad thing, Kimberly. This is, this is the plus side of it. Let's get more of our workers moving and so we don't have these massive health burdens as we age. But then they said, look, we're teaming up with Fitbit. They're going to give 1 million free Fitbits to every Singaporean that wants one. And we will be able to tell you how healthy you are based on the number of steps you do. And I think what may happen at a point is we start to ration. Well, if you haven't done your steps, then your premium is higher. Or if you've, if you've visited yeah. McDonald's three times today, well, I'm sorry, you can't buy another burger because it infers you're buying a burger for yourself, even though you might be the one with the disposable income to buy it for somebody else. So when I say these technologies are coming closer, well, they, they will be strapped to our hand. At the moment, we have a transferable smartphone item that we lug around everywhere. It's never at an arm's length away. The next thing we're going to have are these Apple Watches, which we already see, or we see these Fitbits that are almost like anklet bracelets, um, if I may say, analogous to those who are on extended supervision orders. And the, really, the last frontier is an implantable device. I mean, mm -hmm. the biometrics are, uh, are now surfacing. We're hiring workers using biometrics, voice and facial, uh, over Skype and over uh, voice-activated um, systems. We're, we're uh, looking at a particular workforce's productivity. And the next thing is, well, we're not close enough. You know, facial recognition is not always accurate. So let's just place an implantable device in someone. You know, this is my next 20 to 30 years window of what I see happening because it's gone from the door uh, or the ATM machine to my hand that I lug around to what I wear on my hand as an incentivized product to something that I may bear in the future. And who knows, the Internet of Brains perhaps in the future. Who knows, Kimberly? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and 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 that that are things that happen around us, um, Katina. That that we're as consumers sometimes aware, but not a hundred percent aware. But then when you talk about, you know, and this is all data driven and AI driven. But if you talk if you talk about AI, okay, um, and you you start talking about artificial intelligence, then people or the normal general public will start thinking about robots and things like that, even though. It's being used all around us. So where do you think, which sectors, okay, if you're looking at, at AI from a business point of view, um, obviously you have it in medicine, okay, um, where do you see it in consumer? Where do you think the sectors that are going to be most effective with the new technology and in innovation in AI? So AI is a number of components, right? It's, it's mm -hmm. data and we are the data and we generate the data. Uh, the environment generates the data and humans and things and things that move. So we are the data. That's one element because you need data sets to train your artificial intelligence machine learning algorithms. Then you've got these algorithms that use particular approaches like theoretical approaches, neural networks and so forth. And they are able to infer um, and be able to match uh, based on um, things in their queue, whether it's matching an item that is a dog or uh, a good on a store to something and saying, yes, what I'm looking at, what the machine is looking at is actually a dog or a cat or an item um, at a store. And then what we have is this amalgamation and almost this embodiment of the AI within robotics. Okay, It's software that resides within robots because robots are dumb without software. They can't do anything. They can possibly have a mechanical arm that moves and in a hardware-based approach, but most of it is software today. So if we look at AI, it's data, it's the machine learning algorithms, um, the deep learning, the reinforcement learning, the unsupervised learning, and then we have the robotics in which they're embodied within. And what we're seeing today is a move away from the traditional economic business models, right? And so what we used to say is it's, it's really easy. Business is easy. There's a revenue stream. There's a OPEX, an operational expenditure, and there's a capital expenditure. And we could very nicely and neatly place things and people and transportation within these different elements and revenues. And we knew what we'd have with cash flow and payback periods and these beautiful, nice uh, you know, um, loan repayments and internal rates of return and net present values. We could do it really neatly. Well, everything has changed now. People are moving away from physical 
physical assets which are heavy. So traditional companies that have been large scale like Walmart, for example, are trying now to kind of match it with a disruption, but they can't. They actually can't because they're heavy with workers. They're heavy with products that they sell, inventory. They're heavy with the requirement to transport these goods from one place to the other. And so while they want to be agile, they can. They only have a limited agility unless they replace the humans, right, with, with these other things. So when we're moving towards platform or open systems or network or data systems, right, away from the products that are, are tangible, we're then saying it's fast. It can be agile, like Uber, um, Airbnb and Yelp and eBay and Facebook. They're, they're very agile. They've got no physical assets. They don't even have sales um, offices in some countries where they, where they work, right, where they operate. Mm-hmm. So their agility is incredible. And so where are the areas of disruption? Definitely transportation. We're looking at the push, the trillions of dollars. We can't afford for autonomous vehicles to fail. So transportation is a huge, huge sector that's going to be disrupted, and we've already seen that. Accommodation is another one. Housing, who owns what? And, of course, the data sector, even the traditional data sector, um, how data is stored, where it's stored, what kinds of things. We're now talking about tiny machines away from cloud computing even. And cloud has been sort of our last 10 years of bread and butter. So we've been educating these young people to go into um, core networks of cloud computing. And all of a sudden, we're seeing them, oh, there's a need to have tiny machines like implantables or tiny machines like wearables or tiny machines and then placing code, machine learning on these tiny machines that will be proliferated with sensors uh, across the way that collect data for us autonomously. Mm-hmm. And um, I have we're gonna, I have another question for you, but I think we're going to go to our break first, and I'm going to come back because with all this going on, I, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, first of all, how they're learning and if they're carrying our biases and, and where the ethical lines are, okay? But we're going to go to a break right now first, and we'll, we'll uh, talk about that when we get back. And for our listeners, we are talking with Katina Michael, and she is the professor in the School for Future of Innovation in Society and School of Computing, Informatics, and Decision Systems Engineering at Arizona State University. She has published six edited books, as well as co-authored two 500-page reference volumes, and her books are innovative automatic identification and location-based services from barcodes to chip implants and ubervalence social implications, and both co-edited with M.G. Michael. And she has written more than 200 peer-reviewed papers. Now, please reach out to her. She is available for keynote speaking, and you can reach her at uh, katinamichael.com and on Twitter at katinamichael and on LinkedIn under katina-michael. And I'm your host, Kimberly Lewis, leadership expert and business expert. You can contact me with questions and comments at leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com or join our LinkedIn group at Leadership Beyond Borders or my website, Leadership Beyond Borders. This show is brought to you by Cinda, one of Europe's most extensive digital marketing and local search nonprofit associations, which conducts market research and holds digital conferences two times a year in Europe, Middle East, and Africa. And the next one will be in Berlin, May 24th to 26th. For more information, go to www.cinda.com. And with that, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you are interested in the business of rental equipment, be sure to check out Rental Equip Talk Radio with host Donald Charbonnet. We talk to some of the top names in the rental industry, as well as cover topics that include safety, training, fleet management, legal issues, and more. We'll also cover the history and future of the rental equipment industry. Rental Equip Talk Radio can be heard live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 
Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. Do you have a question or comment about our show? Please send an email to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Again, that's leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Borders, and we are talking about technology, AI, innovation today with Katina Michael, who is a professor in the School for Future of Innovation in Society and School of Computing, Informatics, and Decision Systems Engineering at Arizona State University. Now, um, we've been having a fantastic discussion, great information, and um, Katina, on AI, the, the one thing that kind of worries me when, you know, AI learns from us, okay, and we have biases, and what's the chances that we are transferring some of those biases to artificial intelligence? The chances are really huge, Kimberly. Um, when we look at the way search engines even look, uh, when we type in an image, um, uh, a request for an image and, and a particular image comes back or a name comes back, um, we can already see that uh, these things are heavy laden with biases, uh, particularly uh, if we look at um, segments across the world. Uh, in the case in the US, we can see this um, with particular minority groups, and this just is exacerbated. So if we say that the majority of criminals are of type X, Y, and Z, and then we're searching, for example, using an Amazon Ring device uh, based on somebody who's approaching your front door, and they fit the mold, they fit the character mm -hmm. that is in your data set, then most likely you'll send an alert back to one of the local area commands, a policing officer uh, may investigate based on a match. A match of what, Kimberly? Mm. And so the question is, what are we teaching these, what data are we storing? What, what are we teaching these systems regarding biases and will they just exacerbate the existing physical world biases that we have? And the answer is yes. Um, that is really problematic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that 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 concerns me quite a bit, especially when we you know, we just had the conversation in the beginning on diversity and and um, women in tech, and and we also have a global economy now. Um, diversity is so important, and when we start putting biases, as you said, about criminals, then that is concerning. And the other concern that's going on, it's quite public now, is privacy. Okay. Um, now, the European Union has has led the the way in privacy, but the United States is following with uh, California being the first state. And how do we balance for the 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 advancement of innovation and technology, but also now this the trend in we also want privacy. It's really complex. Um, here we are trying to advance. Uh, capabilities, for example, uh, be able to facially recognize anyone uh, in the public space. And we are creating these systems that were originally created for closed campus settings, uh, perhaps for voting in more open settings. But uh, let's just say they were, they were there to clock on and clock off when you went to work, so you wouldn't have to carry an ID card. And we used fingerprint or we used um, retina or we used some kind of face image and then all of a sudden it became trendy on our smartphones to unlock our phones with our image. And instead of saying it's a biometric, they call it a selfie. And there are things to do with selfies. They're not selfies. They're actually facial images that have profiles. And so now we think we can, well, 
why can't we surveil open spaces? Why can't we track people for safety reasons in open spaces? And we've seen legislation. Uh, Evan Selinger, for example, has been leading the charge uh, with so many others on banning facial recognition systems in the public space. Um, and we've already seen some areas, some cities say, we don't want this. We've, we've, we, there are three or four cities in America, for example, that have banned the use of automatic facial recognition in the public space. So when we see systems that are fraught with danger, for example, in, the, in China, for instance, uh, we have the Uyghur people who are currently being surveilled using these facial recognition systems uh, and identified as minority Muslims, for instance, and they're not allowed to go about their business. They are actually taken to what are, you know, a sort of a retraining facilities they're called, but they're actually types of concentration camps. And these are happening. This is happening today. We've got schools in China that are using eye trackers to look at the children's behavior during the class. You know, is the child sad? Are they neurotic? Are they angry? Are they, you know, uh, contributing to class? Are they happy? And so now we have these sort of uh, clicker trails showing the child's uh, sort of uh, behavior up and down over time. And, and there is an eye facing you from the the classroom board. I mean, that smacks to me of a prison. Are mm-hmm. we creating open prisons? Are we creating a place where, you know, your privacy is encroached? What's the next thing? You know, you always ask me about the next phase. Well, I just have to go back to the AI systems that uh, Elon Musk is proposing. He's got a company called Neuralink, and you can find it at Neuralink.com, where he's talking about interfacing with AI, placing the AI on the head uh, as an implantable device. And he's saying that it's for prosthesis at the moment, that it will take time to go through the the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration. But all of these things slowly, initially they look like they're about care. They'll ultimately be about control. And so whether Mm -hmm. we're looking for convenience because we're changing the way financial systems work based on the disruption or the way telecommunications work or the way banks work, um, while we're facing all of this disruption, the regulations and the rules are changing at an incredible s- speed, but they're not keeping up with issues to do with ethics, trust, privacy. And so what we might have in the future are these example convenience-related, um, care-related applications, which are really – they have the underlying aspect of control, and it's a, it's a repurposing of what is allegedly going to be used simply for those people who are disabled, for instance, or require prosthesis, to people who are able-bodied and uh, everyday people. And so we're going to see these kinds of devices. I mean, why should you have a cochlea only when you're deaf? Why don't Mm -hmm. you have a cochlea, for instance, that requires you not to carry around a microphone so that you don't have to have these extra contraptions and apparatus with you, and it can just be an implantable. Everyone could have an implantable in their ear so they can take incoming calls through their tethered to their mobile device uh, and, you know, they don't have to carry all these things. Well, as the AI creeps closer to us and closer to our brain and closer to our behaviors and reacts to us, it's bidirectional, it's not just one way, what we have is a chess game going on. That's in actual Mm -hmm. fact. We're Mm -hmm. analog. We can't keep pace with the amount of information out there. Even if we were to sit down and try and make sense of the news in the morning, we can't, apart from those few reliable sources. And I would say what we need to do is take a step back. I'm not saying don't use the tech, don't interface with the tech, don't take, don't exploit the tech. But we need to take a step back from what I think you referred to earlier in the program as noise and mm-hmm. observe ourselves interacting in the physical space. Observe ourselves actually coming closer into contact with those around us. The handshake, the, the hug with your kids or your grandkids, um, the relationships, the social relationships, which I think are decaying as a result of the AI. So we didn't have to talk to each other. I'll talk to the chatbot at 3 o'clock in the morning. Um, There is no time to sleep. You just are awake all the time, and business is 24-7 now, so we just keep going, and the AI is the one that's awake 24-7. So Mm -hmm. so how do we get back to the ground? How do we get back away from the cloud? Our brain is in the cloud most of the time, and I say to make sense of the world today, you've got to step away. Sometimes we don't even know what we're searching. We just search and get all this information back, and means what? You know, why is it today when we have the greatest um, amount of um, information available to us, we have the greatest rates of illiteracy, the greatest rates of homelessness, the greatest rates of mental illness, the greatest rates rates of um, debt? What is going on here? So we have to actually put the technology in its place, exploit it, manipulate it, use it, but not allow it to manipulate us. And we have to become more aware. That's, That's what I'm thinking. 
Mm-hmm. And and when you talk about the AI and the facial recognition and that, I, I do think that you know we're talking about it today and that's an advancement okay we're talking about it we've seen the behavior changes with generation z okay i don't even talk about the millennials anymore they kind of got us into tech but it's really the 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 generation z that is actually have been born techies okay and and losing communication skills um you know always on their phones always doing everything in chat um so i think we're talking about that question I have is on data, okay, when we're talking about that on data, did we miss the boat? Because, you know, you, we put in GDPR, um, the U.S. is not even close to what Europe is right now, even though there are some waves, but there was, as we did this, there was all that data already out there, and yes, we have, you know, um, fines against noncompliance, but do you is it a reality that we're ever going to get that straightened out, or is it you know we just start from here, okay, on on the data because it happened only May thirty first, what was a year and a half ago, okay? So, so it's a great question. Like uh, we've been producing data since we could, since we bookkept, uh, since we had databases, since the thirties, uh, electronically uh, in 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 magnetic media and so forth uh, in the 70s with transaction uh, capabilities and, and there, thereafter. So we, we're constantly producing data. That's not changing. And in fact, we're going to be producing even more with these Internet of Things sensors dispersed around the world. But what we're seeing is 95% of this data is thrown out. We're collecting, 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 abusing, 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 and not using it for the real purposes. You know, if we, if we want to disrupt real things that matter in the world, like homelessness, like mental health issues, uh, like... Um, all of these things that should matter to us, and we're redirecting our minds to the wrong things. So data is intangible. Yes, it can be stored in bits and bytes in some kind of storage provider, but we're now starting to look at other things like our DNA as data, and that's really sensitive information. Uh, The way we look as data, the way we walk as data, our innards become data, our vital signs, our heartbeat, all of these things, and they've been unmeasurable assets in the past. We can't put a cost or a price on data. We can't put a cost on our data uh, prints being stolen, for example, our footprints or our chronicles. So what is happening as we are trying to move to these non-traditional systems, these, these disruptive advanced systems is that we need to put in the right measures. And I agree with you, there's no time like the present to start. We've tried. Mm -hmm. What I don't want to see is these big organizations continually abusing the data Mm -hmm. and their data holders and getting away with fines that are measly. But recently, we have seen some pretty hefty fines. Mm -hmm. Um, $5 billion here and there, which is not a pittance. If this continues as a trend, these companies will begin to listen. That's good. So um, that, that that always concerns me, and I'm glad to, to hear your opinion on that. We're getting towards the end of the show. Oh, I'm so sad. I could have this conversation for another hour. Um, so as we as we grind down, I would like to ask you just one question. If you had one one message to everybody out there, um, either as a consumer or just we as society, what would that one message be? I'm wary of atrophy of our human faculties. Use your body. Mm-hmm. Get out there, walk around, pick up the book in person from Barnes & Noble. Don't order it online. Uh, don't have everything delivered to your houses. Don't use Uber for everything. Start walking. Get out there and be part of the world you live in, not just uh, in the virtual world. So brace yourself and place yourself in the physical space and you start to see the, the virtual world much better much clearer uh, and with much greater impact. So get yourself going. Don't atrophy as a human. You know, get with your families, get with your friends, get with your dogs and cats, start walking outside, you know, visit these places, these points of interest, and don't allow us to go back to what my father feared. My father feared I would have a job like he did in the factories. Well, guess what? Much of our life today in the tech world is like a factory. We mm-hmm. go to work when it's 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 uh, so much early in the morning. It's black outside. You know the sky is dark. The moon is still out, and we leave when the moon comes back out. Mm-hmm. So we're missing our day. We're becoming bigger and thicker. Let's not be like those workers in the in the mines. You know that that were yep. dirty with soot when they came out of the the mine. Let's actually become clearer and have better working conditions. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, and and that is really great advice. Um, and a quick sentence uh, of encouragement to our female leaders out there, okay, um, in tech. Uh, what would be your message to them? Don't stop uh, and uh, never say I can't. Um, that was my mother's advice. Uh, even when I decided to move from Australia to the US uh, about a year ago, I looked at her and said, but it, it would mean me leaving you and, and leaving our extended family. And she says, and go for it. So don't let anything stop you. I think um, uh, the world is open to you. And women have incredible insights to offer the world and one another. And they'll have um, great balance, I think. Um, we, we, we have this uh, imbalance at the moment and we need more women in the workplace. We need more women in tech and we need more women to be vocal, to speak up about their values because I think they are quite different to the traditional white male 30 years old value system that was generating things like sex bots, for instance. Mm-hmm. So how can we go away and re realign our value system in society in the tech world and say what do we really need to solve as a problem, not just what will generate us money? We need both. We need both. We both. Great. Well, thank you so much. Um, and for our listeners, this has been absolutely insightful. And we've been talking to Katina Michael, and she's a professor in the School for Future of Innovation in Society and School of Computing Informatics and Decision Systems Engineering at Arizona State University. And if you'd like to reach out to her, you can reach out to her on our website, www.katinamichael.com, and also on Twitter at Katina Michael and on LinkedIn at Katina slash Michael. And she's also available for keynote speaking. And Katina, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed this conversation. It was enlightening and encouraging. Thank you, Kimberly. And listeners, thank you so so much for listening in. And you have been listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. It's a program sponsored by Global Business Therapy, SRO, and also CINDA, the Search and Information Association of Europe. CINDA holds conferences, and our next conference will be in Berlin, May 24th to 26th in 2020. And Leadership Beyond Borders provides leadership training with a focus on digital transitions and digital agencies. And also, we have the Women's Leadership Academy 2020 with special specializes in diversity and C-level development for women. Now, if you'd like to contact me, please contact me, your host, Kimberly Lewis. Send me an email at leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com or visit my website at leadershipbeyondborders.net. And you can find us also on Facebook and Twitter. And please tune in to us each Tuesday, 3 p.m. Pacific time. And also after that, you can download us on iTunes, Google, and Stitcher. And with that, I'd like to thank you for listening again this week. And please tune in to us again next week. Thank you for joining us on Leadership Beyond Borders. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Kimberly J. Lewis, on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.